Welcome to the Autism Classroom Resources Podcast, the podcast for special educators who are looking for personal and professional development. I'm your host, Dr. Christine Reeve. For more than 20 years, I've worn lots of hats in special education, but my real love is helping special educators like you. This podcast will give you tips and ways to implement research-based practices in a practical way in your classroom to make your job easier and more effective. Welcome back to the Autism Classroom Resources Podcast. I'm Chris Reeve, and I'm your host. And this week, I want to talk about a question I'm hearing a lot of right now, which is how can special educators advocate for their needs and thereby the needs of their classrooms as well? It's not surprising that we are in the middle of the most difficult year of teaching that I can remember in my 30-year career, that teachers are feeling that they need to advocate for themselves more. But what's interesting is that there are a lot of articles out there about how to teach students to ask for help, how to teach parents to advocate, how teachers can advocate for their students, and I'll have more on that in a future episode. But there are very few tips that I can find out there about how teachers should ask for help themselves. Teaching is hard. You know that that's true. I believe, especially right now, it's one of the hardest jobs that there is. And to do it well is essential that special educators can advocate for themselves. Educators never cease to amaze me with their ingenuity and their grit, but truly no one can do this job alone. Our special education system is actually built to keep it from being a one-man show. And yet many times our classrooms feel like an island with nowhere to turn for help. So let's talk for a minute about why teachers don't self-advocate. I know that special educators have lots of concerns about asking for help. There's the classic fear that asking for help makes you look weak. And in teacher language, that means looking like you aren't a good teacher. And that's just cray cray. In fact, asking for help reflects that you are strong enough to recognize you need help and confident enough to ask for it. That doesn't make it easy to do. And I found as I was looking a quote from Barack Obama that said, don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid to ask for help when you need it. I do that every day. Asking for help isn't a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength. It shows you have the courage to admit when you don't know something and to learn something new. Another reason is that teachers fear that their administrators won't be receptive to their request for help. I remember one time when I was a grad student reaching out to a supervisor in our clinic, telling her that I didn't feel like I could adequately meet a client's needs. Her response was to tell me that I was probably doing better than community practitioners because I was so concerned about it. That wasn't the help I needed, and it didn't make me feel any better. Consequently, I didn't go back to her when I needed help, which is, of course, not the quality that you want to engender as a supervisor. Sometimes educators don't know how to frame their request in a way that gets them the support that they need. It might be they don't know what they need. They know that something is wrong or they've been told something is wrong, but they don't know specifically how to fix it. Or they might not know how to phrase it in a way that makes the request powerful to the administrator. Also, needless to say, all of the supervisors in my above example reasons are not doing a great job as supervisors. 
and the quality of the supervisor or the administrator is a huge component in job satisfaction. It's also critical to gaining the support you need in the classroom when you ask. Just as a supportive, high-quality teacher makes a difference in the life of a student, the support and leadership skills of the principal and special educators make or break whether teachers succeed and remain in the school. And finally, many teachers don't ask for help because they're scared of losing their jobs. There's a feeling that they point out something wrong in the system that they'll be penalized for it. Or if they reveal the fact that they don't know how to handle something, they'll be graded down in evaluations. Now, all of those are valid and real reasons why teachers don't ask for help. But educators can't do this job alone. It's not designed to be done on an island. Education is, by nature, a collaborative process. But I know that sometimes special educators in particular feel like they're working on an island. Having established some of the reasons educators don't advocate for themselves, in this episode, I'm talking specifically about how you, as a special educator, can ask for help for you and for your classroom. And as usual, I do not pretend that I have all the answers in this at all. But I do have three strategies that I think can help you frame requests for help and support in your everyday work life that make getting that support more likely. The strategies I'm talking about will not work for everyone or every situation. Sometimes the the issues are bigger than just needing help. If you're struggling with burnout in general or in a job you aren't sure about, I've got a link in the show notes about ways to prevent burnout and ways to reduce stress. The issue of the quality of leadership of administrators is a big one, and I can't fix your administration, but I hope that these suggestions can maybe reduce the impact of it on your everyday life and help you get the help that you need. So let's get started. Let me start by saying that I think it's critically important that special educators advocate for their students. That's another area where it sometimes feels like you're rocking the boat. And I will address ways to advocate for students' needs in a future episode. I believe it's also critical to discuss and tricky to navigate. But in talking about advocating for yourself as an educator, I think it's important to remember that it is tied to advocating for your classroom or your caseload. And thereby, Advocating for yourself is also advocating for your classroom and your students. I mean, I am making the assumption that you are not advocating for three-hour lunches and a shorter workday. So keeping that in mind, I think that it's fair to say that when you advocate for yourself and what you need as a teacher, you're also advocating for your staff, your students, and your classroom. Typically, when educators advocate for their needs, those same supports will help their students. One of the biggest areas that teachers advocate for is more adult support or help. And often when you're advocating for something for your students, it will hopefully make your life and that of your staff easier. So number one of my three tips is to know what you need. And that sounds really simple, I know, but it's really not. Sometimes you know that you're overwhelmed, but it's really hard to see exactly what would make it better. Especially if you are overwhelmed by everything going on, particularly now in the fall of 2020, it's hard to see all the moving parts. Is the problem that your students aren't showing up for distance learning? Perhaps the issue is that you're trying to do two jobs at once in hybrid teaching with online instruction and in-class instruction. 
The most effective way to advocate for your needs, though, in any situation is to be clear in your head and in your communication about the problem itself. For instance, it's tempting to say that you're struggling with distance learning and it's impossible to do. And if the problem really is that you're struggling to keep up with getting material online for your distance learning students in a reasonable time frame, that's what you need to advocate for. Administrators can't help you if the problem is simply distance learning. Many of you are, quote unquote, stuck with it for a while at the moment, unfortunately. But you could help, they could help you troubleshoot the problem of time or the process of uploading materials for the students. So how do you figure out what to advocate for specifically? Talk with others. Find out what other educators are doing or struggling with. Share your problem with an educator friend and talk it through. Sometimes that helps you to see where the specific problems lies. Knowing what the specific problem that is underlying your concern is leads you to be able to plan out what you need. And that brings me to number two. Let's take an example where you're struggling to meet the needs of your students with your current staffing. This is one I hear frequently, and I've worked with many teachers over the years to help make this request. I've also been an administrator on the other side of this request, so I've seen it from different angles. The most successful method for advocating for any type of assistance in the classroom or impact of any type of support is to show what it looks like with it and without it. So an example of advocating for more staff, um, whether it's a student that you're struggling with specifically or if the ratio isn't adequate to support your needs, it's probably the most frequent request that administrators hear. It's also probably the most frequent request that is not granted. There are multiple reasons for that. It's probably the first request that teachers make when they feel overwhelmed. And it isn't always what is needed. And of course, it is also a budgetary issue that may not be feasible for the district. So how do you approach this issue? Make a zoning plan. And I've talked about that in episode four of the podcast. Uh, and you can find that at autismclassroomresources.com episode four. And it outlines what your staffing utilization looks like now. And then make another zoning plan that shows what your classroom could do with an extra staff member. Preparing both is definitely more work, although you should already have the initial zoning plan, and episode four will tell you why, but it shows the administrator that you have thought about the problem. You've shown them what you plan to do with the extra staff, and then asking for that extra staff isn't a frivolous request. It also has the added element of allow you, allowing you to know that you advocated effectively and that you told your supervisor what you would be able to do with the staff that you have and what your limits are, what you're able to accomplish. Because after all, you're not going to be granted every request you make, no matter how effective your advocacy is. But hopefully this may help you to live with the decision that gets made because you'll know that the supervisor knows the limits of what you can do. So let's talk for a minute about the tools that you can use for planning out your solution and demonstrating how it will impact your classroom. As I mentioned in that example, a zoning plan is an excellent tool for making requests for staff. If we take the example of asking for assistance with a staff member who isn't doing what needs to be done, a zoning plan can help with that as well. You use a zoning plan to give direction to the staff. So if you've put it in writing what the expectations are, then that 
assures that you have told the staff what you needed them to do. You've given clear direction. And there's actually a form for the zoning plan in our free device, in our free resource library at library.autismclassroomresources.com. Another tool that you can use if you're struggling with a staff member is the teaching implementation plan, the TIP. Um, and I've talked about that in previous episodes, and I will make sure that that link is in the blog post as well. The tip gives more guidance about implementing a student's IEP and assures that you've given this information to the staff. It's also helpful when you're advocating for help with addressing a parent because it shows how you've thought through the existing IEP. And the final tool that can be extremely helpful in advocating for anything is using your data. If you need help from the behavior specialist with the behavior of a student in your classroom, take your behavior data and show it to the person who needs to make that referral. Are you struggling with a student whose progress isn't what you think it should be and you think you need a different curriculum? Take your data on their progress, summarized in a graph, to support your request. And that brings me to tip number three. The third tip is one that comes into play when you're having trouble with tip number one uh, of defining what the problem is. It's one I recommend most frequently when teachers are given feedback on an evaluation, for example, but they don't know how to address the problem. You know, the time when the principal comes in and says, well, you need to have blah, blah, blah. And you're like, I don't understand how that's going to help my kids. I don't know what to do with this. Sometimes you and your administrator will not see eye to eye on how things are going to be done in your classroom, and sometimes their suggestions and evaluations may make no sense to you in how you would do that with your classroom. Now, this can happen if you're a new teacher and what the supervisor, consultant, or coach is recommending is something unfamiliar to you, so you don't know how it could help. But it could also be something that you've already tried. For instance, as a consultant, I often had in the past have given a recommendation that we try a token system with a student. Sometimes the teacher will tell me she already tried it and it didn't work. It's then on me as the consultant to show how it was implemented to see if that played a role. However, if I don't do my job as a consultant, therefore I just tell them to try again, it would really be helpful for the teacher to say, I've already done this. What could I change to make it work better? So I realize that that puts the pressure back on you as the educator, but we know that the administrators and coaches you work with are under as much pressure as you are, and they may not always see these issues as pressing as you do, but most of them will come around if you ask for more information. As an administrator, I would much rather work with the teacher to find a solution when he or she asks questions about how to make it work than a teacher who either just ignores my advice or flatly refuses. Asking for suggestions shows that you want to make things better and address the concern, and it shares the responsibility for solving the problem between you and the supervisor. So I've talked about three ways that special educators can advocate for themselves most effectively. There is one element that I haven't focused on as much, but it really underlies all three tips. You have to ask in order to get assistance. If you spend your time closed up in your classroom and you don't reach out for assistance when you need it, no one will know that you need it. If you don't tell someone that there is a problem, it's highly likely in our crazy educational world 
that they will not notice. Advocating is important, not just for your satisfaction with your job and your stress level. Advocating for yourself is important because it's the way to make things better. If you don't tell someone that you have a problem, they likely will not notice that you need help. If you try to make everything look like you have it all under control when you don't, the view from administration will be that you aren't able to do the job if there's a problem. Unfortunately, they won't always look at your struggling as a cry for help. But if they're good leaders, they will look at your asking as a sign of strength. And if they don't, that's a topic that I'll cover in another episode. I hope that this helps you to get assistance that you need in your classroom during this very difficult time. If you are struggling in the classroom and you feel like you are on an island, I highly recommend coming and checking out the Special Educator Academy. We have a whole 500 members who feel like they live and work on an island. Many of them have expressed this to me in the past, and we provide a community that can help. You can find more information about a seven-day free trial for the Academy at specialeducatoracademy.com. And if you are a special educator, hop over to the free Facebook group at specialeducatorsconnection.com and join us there as well and share your ideas about how you can best advocate for yourself from within your classroom. Thanks again for spending this time with me. I hope you'll come back for another episode. If you enjoy listening to the podcast, I'd really love it if you'd go to iTunes and leave a review and make sure that you subscribe on your favorite podcast app on your phone or your computer. You can find the transcript and all of the links and information as well as the blog post for this episode at autismclassroomresources.com slash episode 52. Thanks, and I hope to see you again next week. Mm -hmm.